light! Light this candle! Camera! Action! Moron. I've got morons on my team. Well, hello, Mr. Fancy Pants. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! We're in the pipe. Five by five. We'll help! Yeah, I'll just fill my pipe! And so it begins. It was the dawn of the third age of mankind. Welcome back, folks, to the Man Cave Movie Review, the podcast that reviews the good, the bad, and the ugly of movies for men. Tonight, somebody suggested this movie, and I don't know who, but they'll pay for it later. Tonight, we are reviewing that 1981 movie, Nighthawks, starring Sylvester Stallone, Billy D. Williams, Lindsay Wagner, Rutger Hauer, and a host of other people who don't even have pictures on IMDb. So, this movie, 1981, post-Rocky II, uh, a street cop, De Silva, played by Sylvester Stallone, reluctantly agrees to terminate an international terrorist who has demanded media attention. But De Silva's at-home tactics are very much put into challenge. And he is opposite of the smooth operator, Billy D. Williams, as they hunt down Wolfgar, played by the late Rutger Hauer. Gentlemen, we did suggest this movie as a, uh, as a tribute to the late Rutger Hauer, and I thought it was, uh, you, know, you know, it was fine to do. It was, uh, I will say this, uh, somebody has suggested this, I can't remember who, somebody will chime in here in a minute, and I will say thank you for saving me because I thought somebody had said Lady Hawk, and I was about 10 minutes into that, and I was finding my car keys, lime shovel, <laughs> and a whole bunch of other stuff, including tweezers and a blowtorch, because that, well, let me just say, that that movie will never, ever be reviewed on this podcast unless it's a true schlock edition that one of you three are managing. So anyway, without further ado, gentlemen, welcome to the show. Tonight, joining me is my good and dear friend, Ken, are you here for business or pleasure? Roni. Well, I, uh, I'm going to start out by stealing a quote from one of the uh, critics uh, that I read while researching on Wikipedia. And it basically says that Nighthawks is what you would get if you had the Day of the Jackal produced by the same team that made Beretta. <laughs> yep. You know, Ken, I was I was driving home tonight, and I was thinking this movie very much reminded me of Day of the Jackal, and yeah. and I thought somebody would reference it or tell me that I was right because of what you just said. So, um, yes, I I get that. Thank you. All right. Also joining me tonight is my good and dear friend Brian. You're a podcaster, and you'll talk when you're assigned to Miller. I'll cut you, man. I swear I'll cut you. You treat me like last week, I'm going to cut you, man. I got the hots for you. 
Come on, badass. Come on. You know, after last podcast, um, I think I'll be doing the cutting here. All right. You should have took the shot, bro. <laughs> Car keys. Lunch All right. Yes, that's the overacting there was is, is kind of a hallmark of this show. Thank you, Brian. All right. Also joining me this evening is my good and dear friend, Steve. Not a lot of worthwhile quotes in this movie, Michaels. Well, thanks, Jeff. I just want you to know, uh, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I'm an international podcaster wanted by podcasting studios in half the countries in Europe. <laughs> but I decided to join this one, and I'm currently laying low for the moment. <laughs> well played, sir. <laughs> laying low is... Yes. After last podcast, I can't blame you for laying low. I'm surprised yeah. you came back. Uh, just, just, and just for the record, I was the one that uh, suggested this. Mainly oh, because, okay. Uh, it was me. Uh, I take full full credit and responsibility. And uh, the reason I did is because, uh, obviously, uh, the news a couple weeks ago, Rucker Hauer, unfortunately, uh, passed away. And I thought, this, this might be a decent one to do. It's not a well-known movie. So I thought, and I remember seeing it way back in the day, and thought it was pretty good. Uh, so I was the one that suggested it. So when Jeff had made a comment about, uh, you know, just as a reminder, we're doing Lady Hawk. I thought I'd been overruled. I'm like, okay, I guess we'll do Lady Hawk. But <laughs> oh, so I I thank you for doing this film in a sense, and yeah. um, dumb, and saving me from continuing to watch the pause state i had lady hawk in and 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 i just could not scrub matthew broderick out of my mind fast enough so okay um, that was yeah anyways thank you yes uh a much different i and i i think i can say a much a much better movie than lady hawk so yeah. thank you all right gentlemen well i kind of gave the uh the, the setup to this um it is what it is um it's a you know set in um you know, I think this is an interesting movie to give you a picture of what the view was of major urban cities during this time period. And if you look at movies now set in, you know, whatever, you know, choose most parts of Chicago or, you know, New York City, I think you're going to have more of a, a, a kind of a sanitary, a cleaned up view of those cities. But here, um, you know, sort of dark cd and i remember years ago indianapolis i mean you know after five o'clock you know it was a it was a barren ghost town i mean you had tumbleweeds you know rolling down the streets and that's you know going back you know 20 25 years but um you know and they it was uh it was an interesting look at where most of our urban major urban centers what they looked like after dark which was frankly quite scary so um uh, but Jeff, Jeff, not not to interrupt, but I mean, I think that's actually a really important point because, I, I mean, again, this is like 1981, so I mean, at least for me, I was I think what eighth grade maybe then thereabouts, and it it didn't look like tumbleweed; it looked post-apocalyptic. You're, I mean, you, you are right, and yeah, there's a reason for that because. That was the condition of most of our urban, you know, urban before urban redevelopment. I mean, that's that's what it looked like, and yeah. and I thought it was an interesting time capsule. And that's I was right off the bat. I mean, and it, and it instantly. I don't know about you guys. Ken kind of alluded to it a little bit. That it caused me to immediately start thinking of of some of those other 
late 70s early 80s movies that this was this was sort of the scene as far as the the, the scenery we were going to have throughout the movie and i thought you know you could have almost like a a movie marathon of some of those i mean you know, maybe, Escape from New York, for example, or um, mm-hmm. some of those other movies where it was it was dark, dangerous, and and whatnot. But um, and you you know the crime was just rampant because there was so many there was a lot of people were struggling and there was opportunities and but anyway so well, it was I, also pre Giuliani and well I think it was not just pre Giuliani I think it was pre a lot of cities weren't sure what to do with their situation until they understood that well if you want to have commerce and if you want to have growth and if you want to have you know people in your city afterward you have to develop it and you know it's not just a place for people to come and come at five o'clock or leave at five o'clock on friday night and not show back up until eight o'clock whatever Sunday which morning. which was hard to do it with 15 16 17 percent interest rates back in those days which is what they were and that's perspective yeah. right brian yeah that, there was that, there was high crime there was all you know economic it was economic hard times in those days it was i mean there's a whole different feel i mean there's a different different country it's still in the cold war the 70s was just coming off this this movie is actually it, it it there's parts of it that really feel like they were set maybe four or five years before uh, and i'll just drag out the 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 the, the disc the various disco scenes disc yeah by, yeah by 82 yeah. disco was dead <laughs> but this movie is probably the last movie i've seen that has a substantial disco component well that may have something to do with what when this movie was actually written and who it was written for which i'm sure we'll get into yeah because this was not written for stallone well and to your point you know this was a what i say 81 movie so when it's shot in 80 i mean some people didn't get the memo that the disco scene was dead or dying but it was when it was written was a few years before that and that that's just you know depending on your circle of influence that's you know that that was something that was worthwhile or important or you felt viable to put in here but i i think that i know that this and brian and ken thanks for putting into perspective you know why things were this way but even today if you find out that some sort of municipality has some financial issue uh, and, and you hear about this the city or something has to cut back because they don't have enough money and you know they're, they're, they had to cut back on garbage collection or something else and and you look at those scenes you know in whatever 2015 to 2018 where you had sort of these there's just garbage all over the place it's just i mean it, it, we're not too far removed from that state <coughs> of um of possibility anyways i thought it was just fascinating but before we go too far in it what um, i want to hear what you guys thought so, uh, let's talk about actors real quick so we we have um, the, the two main principal actors of course are Sylvester and billy d williams both of these are coming off two killer franchises that had both had their own sequels by this point um sylvester stallone had you know completed rocky two and billy d williams was um coming off of the empire strikes back so both of them prominent actors you know the the current event actors like these are your guys that you want to get so you have these two actors how what did you guys think about them they're partners working together brian okay rocky two had not come out yet no, excuse me. Rocky Two had come out. Rocky Three was due to come out. Well, this was interesting. Uh, Stallone was was really doing some experimentation here. He uh, he had done the original Rocky movie. He did a movie called Fist, 
which was basically him playing Jimmy Hoffa, which I saw that movie, by the way. Not a bad movie, frankly. Uh, so this was him trying to do something a little different. I mean, he was kind of channeling uh, Serpico, at least in, the, in terms of the haircut, the way he looked in the movie. Uh, but, you know, it, it, it really was very intentionally Stallone trying to do something he hadn't done before. And he had a lot of control of this movie. And then uh, Billy D. Williams, I guess I can say it right now. You know who this, who the two stars were supposed to be originally in this movie? I don't know. Who were they? Gene Hackman and Richard Pryor. Oh. This was, this was the French Connection 3 that Hackman had declined to do. So they rewrote the movie. That's what I was indicating because I'm assuming the script probably was mid 70s you know if he's if they're trying to capture uh you know uh, uh the, the third version of of popeye doyle but uh and, but anyway uh hackman's sidekick in that movie was not going to be uh oh crap who is it uh great lovely actor can't think of it but, but his kind of sidekick in the other popeye doyle movies but uh, it was going to be richard Pryor. so Kind of an interesting fact. What I read, picked up somewhere. Well, I would. I'd like to get thoughts on, on. <laughs> let's, let's, uh, let's table that for a moment because I'd like to get people's thoughts on either of those actors playing their roles here. But um, uh, instead I, I, of who we, Stallone had, was fine. I thought. I thought he was fine. Well, what did I you? They're both you, fine. What, okay, so you thought both of them were fine. I, okay, a lot I, more profanity in movies back then. If you, I mean, it, it, am I wrong? But it just seemed like the the f bombs were dropping left and right in this movie. Yeah, by quite the a leads. bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Steve, what were your thoughts? What do you think about the two well, actors? Whether whether they're they're acting or you know working together. I thought they were. I thought they were fine. Like I said, I've seen this before. Um, I mean, I like Stallone. I've always been a fan of his. And um, and I thought he did his role pretty much just as expected. Uh, I have to admit, I've only seen Billy D. Williams in well this and obviously the Star Wars franchise, Empire and Return of the Jedi. I'm trying to think of I've actually seen him in anything else, and I honestly can't say that I have. I may have, and I just don't remember it. Um, but obviously, that's you know that's what he's at least most well-known for, at least uh, in my opinion. But I thought they um, I thought they did a decent job in terms of, I mean, it seemed like there was a fair amount of chemistry between the two. They did, um, they did kind of sell the whole partner aspect pretty good. I did, I, I'm curious if that was actual, if that was an actual real role that the police had back then where you just had cops acting as decoys. Uh, essentially dressed up as <laughs> dressed up as that, that's, I think it's uh, funny when you see you know Stallone dressed up as a nurse um, <laughs> and, and it's just stuff like that you know I just thought that was kind of kind of interesting but um, but I think it was like I said I think they did a pretty good job of selling themselves off as you know as cops and they and they fit the bill um, but at least with those two I mean I, I would I would say they did a pretty good job. You know, obviously the uh, the other main role in here is Rutger Hauer, but we'll get to him. Yeah, we'll we'll talk about him in just a moment. All right. Well, yeah. Thanks, thanks, Steve. Um, Ken, what were your thoughts um, about the two? Either how they played off each other, or you know, cop buddy cop movies, um, or you know, was this the precursor to buddy cop movies, or was uh, or did they have any chemistry? What were your thoughts? I mean, there's been other buddy cop movies before this, but I thought they did a fine job, you know, as a team. Uh, you know, felt felt. I mean, 
they seem like real characters. They each have their own, you know, quirks and traits and all. They seem to have a little bit of chemistry going back and forth. You know, like they have a little bit of history. Uh, Stallone, you know, Stallone coming into this movie, he'd been busy in film acting uh, all through the 70s. You know, small parts here and there. It wasn't until Rocky in the middle of the 70s he broke through. But uh, as Brian was saying, I mean, he, he's kind of, exp- you know, he's, he had a lot of influence on this movie. He was experimenting with his role. He was kind of pushing himself, going to different areas. Uh, Billy Dee Williams had been busier longer than, than Stallone. So he'd been out there for quite a while. I, I liked him. I mean, I, again, he has a, he's a character. He's got you know, a fair amount of charisma and character. And I thought they did a fine job with what they had. Uh, if this movie has, a, you know, we, we made light of the movie. I made light of it to some degree. But it, if, if you have to dog the movie, it's going to be in the writing and the maybe the production values and things like that. Not so much the work of the actors and actresses in it. Although we'll talk about people here. I'm sure you can say a few negative things about some of the actors and actresses, but I didn't have any major beefs about any of them. I thought they all, for what they were given, they did a decent job with it. Let's get to, let's just talk about Rutger Hauer real quick. So Rutger Hauer plays the jackal or the guy that um, is is you know the the international manhunt Hauer is a cold calculated methodical intentional um, terrorist who it who does who does things because that's what he feels he needs to do and he and 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 and, 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 and the but it's interesting what what is we all know Rucker Hauer he always has this very menacing presence about him and 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 creepy could also be uh, an adjective that we use that but in this and i'd seen him in a few other movies but the way that he goes about and he sells it i thought really well when especially when he goes into the department store and he just without any remorse is about to do what he's going to do and you know the way he talks to people that he is about ready to put in harm's way i mean it it made you I'm not sure I hated a character more so quick in a movie than I did in this movie. Ken, what are your thoughts? Yeah, yeah, you're you're right. He's he's a very bad man doing bad things, but he's he comes off as a guy who is smart, but just evil smart, and he doesn't care about anybody. He just wants you know. Well, he 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 cares. I think a little bit about you know Persis Kambada's character. But you know he's he's a terrorist, and that's it's like that's what he does. I mean, farmers farm, and you know, painters paint, and he terrorizes. That's you know, I mean, he yeah, he's he he had a role and he played it, and it was, I mean, he you you looked forward to him, but I mean, that's 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 why you grab this actor, and, and quite honestly, it's it's too bad that I I just I I feel like he was underutilized in cinema. Steve, what are your thoughts? Well, he's um, obviously a, a an iconic actor. This was um, uh, this was his big breakout role in America. He had been doing um, obviously doing stuff in his native um, Denmark, I believe. You know, he's, ne- he's not Denmark. He's Dutch. He's Netherlands. Netherlands. I'm sorry. Yeah, they're all the same. Danes, Netherlands. Oh, there we go. <laughs> Send uh, all hate mail to Steve yep. Michaels. Care of. Go ahead. Yeah. yeah, so um, 
this was definitely his uh, his breakout role here in the states, and really is what uh, pretty much made him, I think, at least in terms of um, you know an actor here in America. You know, his I, I think the role that he played in this really kind of sets him up as that um, evil villain kind of guy, and mainly just because. I mean, he did have some kind of—I don't want to call him crazy eyes, but call just you, very piercing. Call uh, crazy those, eyes. Those, You're fine. Yep. Go with it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It's just those piercing blue eyes that you know just would always set him off as um, kind of like a bad guy, and he just always kind of had that that smirk or, or that evil look about him that just you know just fits so well. So I mean, this was. I think in a way, this was almost kind of like him playing Roy Batty a little bit. But, um, you know, he did do a very good job in this, I think. And, I mean, I've, I thought he's done done good work in everything he's been in. I mean, I've seen him in a bunch of stuff. Um, and I think he did suffer from, uh, obviously, some, I mean, every actor does suffer some <laughs> for some pretty bad movies. Um, I know... Um, I wanted this watch hobo with a shotgun and my daughter watched it and said, don't waste your time, dad. So, um, <laughs> I'm not, sh- I'm not sure if I'm supposed to take that as a good warning or, or just a, a, a dare to actually go watch it. But, um, uh, but I, I just, I thought he was greatness. And like I said, I'm, I'm a fan of his, so it's, you know, kind of a guilty pleasure there. I get that. All right. Good. Yeah, thanks, Steve. Brian, what are your thoughts? Well, I mean, uh, he, he obviously back in, in 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 Belgium in that area, he he would, he had been doing movies. In fact, I think he actually had a TV series at one point. We played like a Wandering Night or something like that. Uh, he did Soldiers of Orange, which I remember reading about that in college. It's one of the best foreign films of the year. Uh, and then uh, Spetters was another movie that came out around that time. And those were those are kind of big international. I think he had a connection with Paul Verhoeven, uh, the director. In fact, I think Verhoeven and he went way back. Um, so this was this was his breakout role in America. He was he was clearly very menacing. He kind of reminds me, and and I, I don't mean it in a negative way, but he's almost kind of a smooth terrorist, like kind of like Hans Gruber was. But except Gruber wasn't a guy that would, you know wasn't malicious just to be malicious and he clearly was and he was an evil character i don't think there's any doubt he was intended to be the jackal uh you, you even said that at one point jeff and i don't know if that was a slip of the tongue or intentional but uh it was intentional. There's, there's okay but there's no doubt that's who he was uh, he was so good in this that stallone i don't know if you, anybody read this still they did some audience uh reviews of the movie they did it with with more uh, with more of him and one with less of him. And the one with more of him did better with the audience, but Stallone was jealous, so he cut the scenes. So uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you read that, but that actually happened. And, and ever, I mean, it's, it's known. It's a known fact. But that's just how charismatic he was in this movie. So, I mean, he, he was... I, I wanted more of him, frankly. I really did. It would have been a, I think, a better movie if they would have had about, let's say, ten more minutes of him doing his thing and about ten less minutes of the cops doing their thing. Because a fair amount of what 
was going on with Stallone and Billy Dee Williams and um, oh shoot, oh, Nigel Davenport's character was kind of repetitious. You know, just like okay, we're gonna we're gonna teach you how to fight terrorism, and uh, I mean. They're sitting around in classrooms a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's like we could have done with a little less of that, more of a Rutger. Well, even even the uh, the kind of disco scene, I guess, where they're playing Jumpin' Jack Flash, they played the whole song, by the way. I mean, yeah. that's how long that scene was. And mm-hmm. that scene could have been a lot shorter. And, and, and uh, I guess an example of a scene, which, which, by the way, was badly written, where Stallone and Billy D. Williams literally get up to the guy's face and are pointing at him like, that's the, you know, I mean, it's not like, hey, he's a, he's up 10 o'clock, you know, the blonde guy. No, let's just get, walk right up to him and point at him, uh, the bad guy, uh, which again, it's not the yeah. actors, it's the writer, obviously, that scene. But that was a horrifically bad scene. Uh, but again, it was a long scene. It didn't need to be that long, to, to Ken's point. You know, I'll tell you, one of the things that um, I, I would say about this, and um and I think, and I don't know if it was just with the writing, or or maybe it was a lot of the stuff that Stallone was cutting out. I don't know. Obviously, he had a lot of a lot of say and input in the um, in this production. But the one thing that that seemed that that kind of bugged me a little bit, and maybe I just missed it. Maybe it it went right over my head. But it almost seemed like he was just more or less like a gun for hire. He wasn't like part of some actual like terrorist organization and it was like who's who's funding him or is he kind of like a self-funded guy that just goes and blows shit up you know was he just kind of doing this on his own or was i mean i almost got the impression that like when he when he set the bombs off in london that was for the ira um it just made me wonder it's like who, who who's who's his, who's behind him or is it just he's he's the bad guy well, there's a couple sort of lines between him and uh, Persis Gambada's character. Uh, you know, obviously, he, he was a, a terrorist for hire mastermind, but he'd gotten on the outs with some of his sponsors, and so he was just wanting, wanting to make a big splash to get back in the game, back at his okay. old level. All right, that's okay. That's yeah, they didn't dwell to... on it, but they threw out a little thing. That's what, at least, that's how I took it. In general... Um, I mean, what what were your perceptions of this movie? I mean, as far as pacing, uh, you know, story. Uh, what, I mean, where, where did you guys say? I mean, we heard a little bit that you guys. Some, I mean, Steve threw it out there. He didn't mind it. I know Brian seemed to be okay with it. But just in general, what uh, what are some good? What are the what are the the good bad things as far as you guys are concerned about the movie? Ken, where do you stand? Well, I I sort of stand by my original quote. It's. Uh it has what I would just call TV episode production values. You know, it, it had the looks and feel of, you know, as a TV cop drama of about that period. The dialogue, the writing, uh, the music, it's, uh, it's hard to get an intersection between bad disco and bad 80s electronica, but this movie succeeds in pulling that off uh you know sets and everything else i mean it's, it's all filmed on the gritty streets it's just you know dirty gritty uh one thing i don't remember seeing in this which i think it should have had is at least one trash can fire with guys standing around it it's that kind of movie you'd expect that i don't think there was 
Uh, but it's, I think we've been saying good things about the actors we've discussed, but it really comes back to it's not, to me, a well-written, well-plotted. There's a lot of kind of ludicrous stuff going on, a lot of uh, incoherent stuff going on, and I didn't really like the ending of it, but that's that's what I'll have to say. Brian, where do you stand? Well, just real quick, uh, while it's on my mind, Ken, you mentioned it, like the ending of it. Of it. My understanding there was an ending that was a lot bloodier and a lot more brutal, but it got censored for some reason. Don't ask me why, but, uh, but there was a different ending. Uh, it, that would have improved it because again, they build up this evil, evil character. You'd like to see him go out badly with a bang. Yeah, it was, it was supposedly much, much, much watered down, but, but your quote, actually, I, I had actually written down that quote, because I'd read the same thing. It, it really did have a feel, like you said, of, of a TV show. And, you know, the director, Breda, does Day of the Jackal, was, is a perfect kind of summary of it. That said, I'll disagree with you on a, on a few things. Uh, I actually like the music. It was Keith Emerson of Emerson, Lake, and Palmer, and uh, who basically wrote the, well, didn't write it, obviously, he didn't write Jumpin' Jack Flash, but he did the, the music work. And it very much, I got, picked up the ELP thing there and he, but it, he very much is into synthesizer music and so forth and this show really reminded me of one show just kept going through my head and that was the Equalizer TV series mm. from around the same time Stuart Copeland of the police did by the way the the sound for the Equalizer and it, it's almost I mean you can watch one show and you can almost in terms of the scenes what New York City looked like you could almost bounce back and forth between this movie and the Equalizer TV series, and you wouldn't even know that they're. <laughs> you would think you're watching the same thing, literally. Um, so it, it did have a TV show feel. But that said, I, you know, I all in all, I mean, I you got a lot of movies out that, like that uh, back in those days. You know, I mean, there, there were a lot of movies made that were kind of had this feel to it. Yeah. Well, know, if go ahead, Steve. Uh, oh, sorry. Um, I just wanted to just kind of jump in a couple things, um, and and it kind of echoes kind of what uh, Brian was saying. You know, a lot of these movies um, for that time period, because again, this is you know this is eighty one, so they were probably filming it in seventy nine, eighty, um, or at least got the production going. So it's going to have that look. And if you look at a lot of movies from that period, um, they did they did look like like TV movies. I remember watching the very first time I saw the French connection. I mean, it, I mean, it might as well just be a TV show. It's got that look of it. And uh, so I, and, and there, and there is a certain, um, I think kind of a neat quality to that because it just looks so much more real. It doesn't look like a set. It doesn't look like they just created, um, you know, some of these scenes. Cause that's what I was watching. There's that, you know, like in that one scene when they're, when when him and Billy D. Williams are going and they're like walking through those alleys and stuff like that, I'm like, good lord! I wonder if they got bodyguards with them because this looks like some really, I mean it. I mean it literally. Lo- I was waiting for freaking mutants to come out of the buildings because it just looked <laughs> unbelievable. Um, side side I'm like, God. Have, have you guys seen the movie Chud? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah, I yeah. Mean, that's what I mean. It's just like this is not, and that's all. Like this is not a set. This is like some back street of New York that they're walking along. And God, I hope they've got armed security with them. Um, 
so it just it's got that look and i think it again we talked about that that's just what the inner cities look like back then but uh, to ken's point like with the ending i i would agree i think the ending is very very weak uh but the flip side is is that uh you know brian mentioned something about you know i don't know what was with the rating system you got to remember the rating systems back then were a lot different than they are now i mean stuff that would give you get you a uh, uh, nc-17 or an x rating because even an x rating back then didn't mean just like porn or you know sex uh it could have you know a lot of violence and what they called i mean let's put it this way by the standards of that time the walking dead would have been considered i mean they would have never allowed that level of violence back then it's just like, no, you're not showing that. And that's just how it was. That's just how the rating systems were. They were very, very strict on that stuff. Um, obviously, you know, things have loosened up. So, so yeah, I think that was, I, I agree. I think the ending of this is, is it's like, oh, it's just, that's it. We're not, you know. <laughs> uh, so I would agree on that end. But I just wanted to throw those couple points out. Yeah, the, the ending was almost the beginning. It was basically... You know, you, you got to taste what the ending was going to look like when you saw the beginning of the movie where he's dressed up like a woman going down the street. Yep. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Die. Die. Spoiler like alert. Spoiler. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Steve. Hey, I'm glad you pointed that out. Yeah. It was, I remember, um, you know, back when I was a Ute, that it was about 82, 83, that at that time, there was, I was in Missouri with my grandparents, and I read a news article, because that's the kind of dork I was at my age as a child, um, that they were talking, they were considering a new rating, and they threw out this thing called, it was going to be called PG-13. And mm-hmm. I was I was at a dinner last night, and we were actually talking about the same thing that because we had thrown out some movies that we were saying, well, "Do you think this is okay for our kids?" And and the kids that were involved, you know, they're about eleven, twelve years old, and we got into that conversation that about movies back in the eighties. P, you got to be careful with the PG rating because there there was qualifications. Here's here's why because there was qualifications for a G rating for general audience. And there were qualifications for an R rating. And then everything else got lumped into PG. If it did not meet, like, the bar for R, and if it didn't meet the bar for G, and now, looking back, there's a lot of PG movies that you throw in. You're like, oh, it's PG. And you're sitting with your kids, like Goonies. Um, some There's some other PG movies from that time period. It's like, you know, the Bad News Bears, I think, is PG. Mm-hmm. And we sat down one night to watch Bad News Bears. And it is not a PG movie. Um, not by today's standards. Not, I mean, I don't, I, I question why it was PG back then. But it's, um, I mean, PG-13, I mean, really helped kind of clean up some things. And to the point now, if you look at a lot of the animated movies that come out now, they're rated PG. Because they're definitely not G-rated movies. Um, you couldn't have it for general audiences. A lot of these, because there's so many references in there that, as subtle as they are, there there is some sort of innuendo uh, about whatever sex, usually sex, um, 
or you know some sort of inappropriate thing that you just you know, you know the kid the younger kids might not get it but the older kids and adults will get it um but anyway this is yeah this is another one of those examples of you know you got to be you got to be careful um i went and oh, i'll get to that later i think it's you know it's worthwhile point one of the things i it was fascinating to me throughout the movie is is watching sylvester stallone and billy d williams just kind of work together but even when they're walking i mean you could they each of them have a distinctive different walk about them and there's the one scene where they go up onto uh it's early on in the movie and they go up onto the top of the roofs of uh, the new york buildings and sylvester stallone looks like a just like a rhinoceros just you know banging along and just walking on the rooftops and dismounting off of the um, the fire escapes uh and then you got billy d williams i swear hand to god i mean it looks like he was gliding everywhere he went I, he was there was just this smooth maneuvering that he did throughout the movie and it, it was quite fascinating to watch actually i loved it um, but that really told the difference between the two of them and just, you know, the kind of their, it's almost like personalities, but I mean, Billy D. Billy, uh, Billy D. Williams comes across as sort of kind of a, a cool, a cool guy. And even his walk was like, this, this dude is, cause I had really like Steve, I'd never really seen him in anything else. I'm not quite honestly, see, even sitting here now, I don't really know what else he was in besides the star Wars movies. So Billy, Billy D Williams would be very famous for a lot of folks from the sixties and seventies for uh, Brian song. Where he played Gail Sayers. That's and right. That, I mean, and again, before he did star Wars, he was very well known. It was a made for TV show with him and James Caan. But it probably was one of the highest-rated made-for-TV shows ever, and uh, very well-known uh, TV show back then about uh, the relationship between those two players. So, uh, and I don't know if you know the story or not, Jeff. They they remade it later, but the actual original TV series show was was better, I think, than anything that's been redone since then. About Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers, two 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 running backs for the Chicago Bears. Um, and I, I, Piccolo no. got cancer. I, Sayers. I, Never heard. No, didn't know anything about this. You've never seen it. Never seen. Oh, it. It, it's a it's a heart wrenching tale. Yep. Oh, well, it really is. Maybe no, we no should, exaggeration. Maybe we should podcast about it. I don't know. <laughs> It'd be a rough one. Jeez. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really weird. I mean, it's a it's a guy show, but it's a tearjerker. You know, I mean. And it's a it's a TV shit movie too. Yeah, it's not a movie movie. It's, it's TV, not a movie yeah. movie. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. But I, I I do want to point out that I mean, he, you know he he started you know according to uh, Wikipedia his filmography begins in 1959, and he's still doing stuff. He's he's uh, over 80. Yes, he he was in the Rise of Skywalker, a Star you know Star Wars movie. Can't wait to um, see that one. He was in the uh, <laughs> he he played Lando Calrissian in the Lego movie voiced it uh but no he he's just he guy's not stopping he's still working away so again again i always get a kick out of that when you see somebody that uh times you think that actor acting is a young person's game it's not i mean he, he's just sort of a character actor and just keeps cranking it out he's near 80 yeah well no i'm sorry he is in his 80s um he's like 82 um and yeah and he's still working and working hard um 
And Rutger Howard, I mean, I think what he was, was was he in seventy five? Seventy five. Okay. I mean, and he's got some stuff that is coming out um, post production. I mean, he's got like four things: um, new version of the Christmas a Christmas Carol, um, Break, Emperor, and uh, Tonight at Noon. You know, all those to come out, and apparently, um, I mean, a few things from from this year that. Uh, I mean, he's, uh, voice work and stuff, but dude, what about what about the other characters? There are some other people floating around in this movie. They come in, they saunter in, they saunter out. One I want to just bring up. I don't know if we want to refer to her as. If you want him, come and claim him. The irrelevant female role in the movie, but oh yeah. Um, I, I mean, one one person I don't think that we can 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 look away from is uh, Lindsay Wagner. Yes. Who had I don't know. Six minutes of screen time, and was, was it simply to set up the last scene of the movie? Yes, I, uh, unless there was a lot on the cutting room floor. Yes. Yeah, I, I think there. I suspect that there was a fair amount on the cutting room floor. But she, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, the the flaws of this movie are in the writing and the production. And, you know, both of the female characters, uh, both Lindsay Wagner's and Persis Kambada's characters, I thought they're charismatic act- actresses. They they stand out when they're in the scene. They they do a fair job, but yeah, they're just sort of there to, like, do a little role and then disappear. It's it's uh, They didn't use them to their best talents, I'll just say that. I, I do remember the scene with her and her boss uh, when he popped up, Ken, uh, was immediately, uh, I was immediately knowledgeable of, with my knowledge of certain art-type films back in those days, uh, he was a very uh, prominent uh, feature star, <laughs> the late Jamie Gillis, a Columbia University grad, might, I might add, uh. and artiste. <laughs> So, we're we're gonna move past that. Thank you, Brian. <laughs> well, That's all I, I'm gonna if, say. If I can make one comment oh, about uh, Lindsay well, Wagner, please like, do. Oh, two, well, two comments. Uh, if you watched this movie, you knew that she was the you know, the six million dollar woman. She'd been on that. She had that bionic woman uh, TV show all through the mid seventies into like I think seventy eight or so. So just up till a couple of years before this movie came out, she was known to millions of Americans as the Bionic Woman, you know, cheesy schlock sci-fi action flick. Uh, in the same year that this movie came out, she also appeared in another favorite movie of mine, the schlock classic, High Risk. Oh, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. Which I know, I, I've mentioned that before in podcasts. I would love to review it, but the thing is, you can't get the movie anymore, so it wouldn't do any good to review it for the listeners, because they can't get it. Uh, but, li- listeners, if you can't somehow find a copy of High Risk, watch it. It's it's cheesy, but it's a I think it's a hoot. You, you know, Ken, you, and, and you, you years ago, as a Christmas present to many of us, had, had got us a copy of High Risk, and I, I can still remember I you helped me expose that to of all people my father who had never seen that movie yet I took it home and and I, I, I played it for him and the man he seldom laughed but the dude was cackling at times in that film um, 
And I was like, I, I was just so excited because my dad had exposed me to so many movies. And I was like, I'm going to share this with him because, I don't know, I, I agree with you, Ken. It's an enjoyable movie. Uh, but I totally forgot she was in it. Yeah, she's the main female lead in that movie. Yeah. And, uh, and she does she does a strong role in that movie for what it's worth for a seventies action movie or eighties action movie yeah yeah she really kind of disappeared after the six million dollar woman I mean I don't think she did a whole I mean she's a bit out there but she's not certainly hit that level of prominence by a long shot well you know then. I mean maybe this movie killed her future prospects I don't know I know she kept busy but she yep. was doing a movie like every three you know three four years. Uh, but I mean, she her last movie was uh, two, what last year? So I'm like sure she's still doing it. stuff, but it's just not prominent. No, no, she's just sort of a character actress now. Ken, stop the presses! What? You can Is high risk on Amazon. You can actually. <laughs> you can actually watch High Risk on YouTube. In its entirety. Well, maybe we need to review it then. The 1981 action comedy starring James Brolin and Lindsay Wagner. I, I'm, I'm calling down the thunder. I say we do it. Our next movie, High Risk. All right, works. Hey, any movie with James Coburn in it's good. By right. Definition. This, I, dude, it's okay. Can well, I think you've can, all got the. Your I wish get... is about to come true. Oh, you in, all got your DVD I gave you, I hope. Eight so. years in the making. I do. I do. I have it over here in the collection, Ken. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, I was thinking about selling it on eBay for about 25 cents, but I said <laughs> I can save the postage. So, well, anyway. I, I bought it for a buck. I, mean, I know. It's yeah. a deep, deep discount yeah. rack. Well, you know, with shipping, I was going to have to throw shipping in there. So, um, but anyway, uh, no, you can. Um, cleave on little you can actually watch this on on youtube right now so listeners after listening to this podcast go out grab youtube real quick type in high risk movie got it you got to put that in there movie and then uh, the first thing that should come up is high risk movie with james brolin and uh, Lindsay wagner action it's probably it's probably gonna be bad film quality because it's I, probably a I am watching it copy. right now I am watching it right now Ken and this is it is um, it is not uh, well first of all Ken let's be clear it's not great film quality to begin with but no it's not this is <laughs> this is not bad it's not bad actually I mean it's not bad at all I mean it does not look like somebody's actually filming it uh, on a TV screen and then posting it I mean this looks like well, the quality film that it was, but anyway, it had about the same production values as Nighthawks. Um, yeah, you know, maybe, uh, but in a but in a junglier terrain. <laughs> All right. All right, so, um, well, you know what? This this just made Ken's life right here. He can retire from the podcast a happy man. All right, gentlemen. Well, um, so so we had Lindsay Wagner. Um, we have uh, just. I mean, there's there's not many other people in here um, that. Well, um, Joe Spinell. Um, he was in here. Um, he seems to uh, have a picture on IMDb. Um, Brian, are you familiar with him? He was in The Godfather. He also did some kind of I don't know where he movie where it's kind of infamous where he played a murderer. 
that would scalp women and put their scalps on uh, mannequins or something like that. I can't think what the name of it was. It was really kind of a terrible movie, from what I understand. But but he he was he made his bones in Godfather. He was also in Rocky. He was uh, like in the original Rocky. He was uh, oh, yeah, basically yeah. he was. He was basically the uh, the mob guy that Rocky was breaking knees for. Oh, right. okay, yeah. So that makes sense. You know, this is a this is a Sylvester Stallone connection. Okay, yeah, you're gonna have your friends. Up. That's cool. Um, he died in his fifties. I mean, I think he died in the, later in the eighties. I don't think he made it in the nineties. Interesting. All right, um, and then I, I think one other guy worth me- mentioning is uh, Nigel Davenport. He was coming off of a movie that won the Oscar that same year, Chariots of Fire. Yes. Which, by the way, I loved Chariots of Fire. When I was that was back when I was running track for Butler. So, but that was very much a track and field type movie. But no, he was in that. He uh, he was in a lot of things. He was in a lot of things. He he obviously, was in Zulu Dawn. He was mm-hmm. in the Island of Doctor Moreau. Creepy movie. Uh, yes, very. Um, the Lancaster version of that, I'm assuming. The 19. 19- Although it could have been. Yeah, it would have been. I'm sure Lancaster. 77. He died in 2010, I think. Though, am I wrong? Who Lancaster? No, no. Uh, Davenport. Davenport lived to a ripe old age. I think he. 2003. 2000. Okay. 2000. No, I'm sorry. 2013. Okay. Uh, he was in a movie with Michael Caine called Play Dirty, which is a desert rat sort of dark oh, desert yeah. rats movie. It's a pretty good movie, though. Mm-hmm. Well, his, so, yeah, uh, very prolific, all over the place. <laughs> I yeah. think he pulled off his role as the you know hardcore anti-terror, you know British anti-terrorist expert. Right. I mean, they, absolutely. Clearly, go ahead. There's some telegraphing in that movie. It's like, oh, let's go have dinner. Oh, you'd, you'd kind of know what's going to happen after that once they became friendly. But uh, I, Which is another thing about the show. There's a little bit of telegraphing that went on in this show. But but no, I thought he was good. I thought he was great in this. Of course, I you know, I, my love for Brits. So um, Yeah, you do, the, you do love the Brits and Aussies. And they're good people, you know. It, well, that rounds out the... That rounds out main, oh. the main actors. I mean, unless there's anybody else you guys want to talk about. And if we talk about... Uh, uh, I, I think Persis Combata deserves a comment. Uh, all right. I mean, well, we'll talk about the second she, one. She, she was, she was, a, she was a little, like, phenom back in this... Like, for a couple years, she was, a, you know, popping up and all sorts of stuff. And then she kind of went back home. She was three years out of uh, your first Star Trek movie, uh, I think, when she did this, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. She... She later, she's passed since then. I think she had a heart condition, I believe. Uh, 1998. She was working up until she passed away. <clears throat> she uh, was 1966 or 65 Miss World or Miss Universe, if I'm not mistaken, I believe. Beautiful lady. She was in Megaforce. Oh, that's right. That that was an epic. With Barry Bostwick. That's right. And that right was where they had the motorcycles with the... Uh, with, uh, like tank guns on them or some crazy stuff like that, I believe. How I, have we not considered reviewing that movie? Because we have brain cells? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, we are considering Deep Blue Sea. I'm, again, when you... You want to open that can of worms? Again? I do. Um... <laughs> All right. Really, I mean, there, there's. I mean, the the movie itself. Um, it, it it's 
it is what it is. Uh, it's it's your it's your typical story of you know kind of cat and mouse. There are some things throughout the movie that it to me it was anymore. It seems like movies make it a point that the people that are harmed in the movie are some basically people that you're okay with being harmed in a movie. This movie has a slightly different viewpoint that I mean really it, it the people that are being harmed are your are us your everyday people doing everyday things and I don't know about you guys it, it elicits a different it elicits a different response from me it I mean I, dare I say it's just it's uncomfortable to watch what do you guys think I mean, I would say so because he's, you know, he's not really even targeting. <clears throat> well, I guess he was targeting like political people, but I mean, he was taking out anybody, anybody that would get in his way. Um, and even people that didn't get in his way. Uh, the, <clears throat> the one thing that I, I guess I just didn't quite get it, but it's, you know, obviously he's, he's quite the lady killer, literally, you know, obviously he could just pick up chicks in a disco uh, pour him some champagne. Next thing you know, they're giving him keys to his uh, their apartment, and he's like storing his uh, you know hand grenades and uh, sawed off shotguns and <laughs> his other stuff. Because you know what? I guess he never would have thought that maybe when she's like going through her closet and sees this big freaking footlocker there. Oh, gee, I wonder what's in here. Um, I, I guess that's kind of some of the stuff that. You know, uh, obviously it was a it was a plot device to show that he's such a heartless guy. He just whacked her, um, but um, but yeah, it's just it was just an average person who actually when I first saw her, I thought it was, I thought it was Sally Field for a second, uh, the one that played <laughs> her. It kind of looked like her at first, but um, but I was I was mistaken. Yeah, I agree with you though. Would would but that shit just plop that thing open. I'm thinking like, well, would you at least lock the briefcase? Maybe. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, because it's like he just put it there, like in plain sight in her closet. Yeah. It's like okay, but then again, do you just hey, like give plus. the guy? I guess if you're a really sexy international terrorist, you do. Well, I'll make a point. A, a, a contemporary movie to this was Looking for Mister Goodbar with <laughs> Diane Keaton go. and. Uh, you know, several. Uh, who who is the uh, gear? Uh, well, I think he's the guy that killed her, isn't he? Yeah, the but the but she was a girl. You know, it was a woman that like prowled the discos, picking up guys and taking them home. So it's like, hey, I mean, it's disco days. They did things differently back then. This was yeah. in the heart of the AIDS epidemic. You know, yeah. back in those days. Let's, I mean, so uh, yeah, I mean, I promiscuity was, was king. Let's yeah, be to, clear. To, to Jeff's comment, you know, do that to these days too. Let's just be clear about that. No, his character did come off with that whole extra creepiness and repellent factor to me. You know, I've made comments. I I I I still remember when we reviewed Heat, and I made comments about how you know it was horrible to be an innocent bystander in that movie. I mean. You're standing by the road, and somebody, you know, they're going to run over you. The car's going to crash into you. The machine guns are going to spray and, like, take out the whole cafeteria or whatever. But it wasn't like Robert Duvall sat down and said, like, well, I'm just going to, like, take out entire towns full of innocent bystanders. It was an, an unfortunate consequence of their actions. 
On the other but, hand, Rutger Hauer, everybody thought it, it was extremely intentional. And he would look you in the eyes and smile and then kill you. Mm-hmm. And, and Ken, I think that's my point. It, we, we've transitioned to a point where we're, you know, the a lot of times if there is, you know, whatever, lone gunman, lone terrorist, or even, a, even a, you know, a terrorist group, you know, they're targeting, in a sense, political targets, you know, quote-unquote quote eligible targets, you know, those targets that are uh, allied with and responsible for the whatever political issue they have. And you're and, and, and subconsciously you're like, okay, well those were hard targets. Those were military targets, those were law enforcement targets, whatever. But in here, I mean, you know, to the, that thought of you could be in a in a department store or at a whatever your sporting whatever sports arena you want to go to, or uh, and and to your point in heat where people are you know getting shot in this in an accidental way. In, in this movie, people are. I mean, targeted. I mean, that's... It's the definition of terrorism. Yes, it is. And, it is. And it's, I mean, it's it's uncomfortable. It's just uncomfortable for me. I mean, that's it. Well, that's it, I want to, say. To, your, to, your, to your point there, though, Jeff, I mean, Stallone talked about this, and, and I think maybe Howard did, too, where they said they thought this movie was a little bit ahead of its time in the sense that it, it portrayed it in a very ugly sort of way where... Uh, where the, the senselessness of it and so forth, uh, well, not the senselessness of it, because it is, in a strange sort of way, it's sensible to the terrorist. But uh, but they thought that this movie was a little bit ahead of its time, and uh, uh, because it it you know he was he was a guy you didn't like because of what he did, you know, uh, you know I I get I hear you, but but yeah they both they both felt that this movie was again was a little bit ahead of its time for that reason how it's portrayal of terrorism very much all right well hey thanks guys and a good job of kind of laying out the pros and cons of the movie i think it's now time for brother what you drinking oh what you drinking what you drinking all right i know it's a school night i know you guys are i don't know losing it up a little bit um we'll start off with uh softball toss in the air brian what are you drinking diet coke boring I got nothing to tell you. That's why I started. Move on. All right. <laughs> Still had to get you down for the list. Okay. All right. Well, thanks, Brian. Uh, maybe next time try some herbal tea or something. All right. There um, we go. All right. Um, Ken. Ken, what uh, what what are you what are you doing on a uh, Sunday night? Well, being a health conscious guy like I have, and I mean I've told everybody I'm cutting back on the booze and all, so I'm drinking a vanilla vodka and diet coke. Because <laughs> I have cut back a notch, and I will make a comment that last night I was out with some friends up in a bar in Carmel, and uh, I asked for vanilla vodka and diet coke, and they gave it to me, and it was just like one of the best I ever had. And I asked them, and they said they're using Svedka vanilla vodka, so I'm gonna have to maybe get away from my Stoli and get Svedka instead. You should go for that. Have you tried Tito's? Have you, have you been kicking back any Tito's lately? I don't think Tito's makes vanilla vodka, but I do have Tito's. I've got Tito's vodka. I do. I do use it on occasion. You, you got always a, use, about half a bottle. I've been using it. You could always use some imitation vanilla. Just you know. Oh, that's not the same at all. Uh, you know, there's no reason to drink. Vanilla I'm, I'm an aficionado, man. Right. You, yeah. Anyway. All right. Well, thanks, Ken. Um, all right, and 
Steve, what uh, what are you on a Sunday night work night? What are you doing? Well, actually, I um, I drank it before the um, before the show because uh, I wanted to have it um, early, so I didn't didn't get me too tired for the night. But I was drinking. What the heck, hello. Sunny Jesus. Uh, I know. I need to cut that sound out, whatever that was. That's That was Miller again, I'm sure. <laughs> right? No. What, what you got? Is he eating it's a bag a of chips again? <laughs> no, that's a, it's not me. Hmm. It wasn't me. All right. You know, maybe it's the ionosphere. All right. All right, go on. Steve, hi. We'll get- yeah, no. So, uh, so I didn't want to have uh, too much tonight because obviously it is a school night. Uh, so earlier I was uh, drinking some Pilsner Urquell. What's Urquell? It's uh, it's a Czech beer. Okay. Yeah. Probably good. It's not bad. It's a it's a little, a little too bitter for my taste. As Pilsners go. Um, tonight um, I had a uh, in a board meeting I had to go to and I told them uh, when I got there to the fine establishment of uh, Big Lug that uh to, to to make me a make me a um old-fashioned and don't give me your well crap but give me something different so they put um hotel tango which is a local artesian bourbon company here in indianapolis um and they 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 make a series of um of of uh, spirits and if you know anything about the process of making spirits at certain stages along the way, you get certain spirits until you get to bourbon, uh, which is put in a barrel and aged. But um, so they have a whole line of them. But they have two. They have two. They have two bourbons. They have a two-year bourbon and they have a six-year bourbon. Their two-year bourbon is pretty cheap and inexpensive, and and it's it's okay. It's all right. And that's what I had. I had uh, I had the two-year bourbon. Uh, the the other bourbon. Is, is at a premium because it's a six year uh, in a barrel and um, and it's not it's really actually pretty good um, but I, I don't really enjoy I don't have a bottle because I don't really want to pay the price that they want to charge for it but it is sort of one of those boutique artesian uh, bourbon places so it's small and they depend on people um, you know paying a little bit of a premium for that but um, if you're in the metro Indianapolis area and surrounding area, um, you can find them down off Virginia Avenue, I believe. And, um, and, and it's worth a stop into their local establishment. They are not sponsoring this podcast. Let's just be clear about that yet. Um, so I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, uh, I'm just giving them a, a plug. So, uh, so anyway, um, but that's what, uh, I had that earlier this evening and it was, uh, it was quite tasty. So, all right. All right, well, thanks, gentlemen. And that was Brother Whatcha Drinking at this time. Ken, are you ready for the top 10 movies of 1981? Is it one? What am I doing? Yes, yep. yes, it is. Thank goodness. This movie was made in 1981. I was a, an adult in 1981. Uh, 1981 was a not so hot year in my life, but it's one where. Because I didn't have much going on, I went to the movies a lot. So a bunch of I saw a number of these movies in the theater. Before I talk about the top ten, I do want to just mention a few movies uh, that came out in this year. Uh, one that we just talked about is High Risk. 
Uh, it did not make a splash. It did not make any list because it was a cheesy, low-budget movie that didn't do too well in the box office. Uh, one that is a man cave movie, which we reviewed, is an American werewolf in London. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a fun movie. The, the gorgeous it, Jenny Egger. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does right. have her. Mm. Uh, and a movie which is famous in cinematic history for several reasons is Heaven's Gate. Yeah, it was a bust. <laughs> Chris Christopherson, uh, Michael Cimino was a director, if I'm not mistaken, right, Ken? And uh, yes. John, not Hurt, not uh, the Hurt, uh, not John Hurt, but... Uh, William? Yeah, maybe it might have been... No, it might have been John Hurt, I think. It's Christopher Walken. Yes. And John Hurt, Sam Waterston, Brad Dirt. I watched it. I watched no. it. I, they, uh, maybe about 10, 15 years ago, they did a director's cut. The director's cut was okay. Uh, but yeah, Heaven's Gate when it came out was a big budget movie with all these stars and big director, and it just bombed. It, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it took down a studio. Well, yeah, and I think well, Chimino was just off coming off the Deer Hunter a few years for that, I believe. And yeah. I don't know if he got to do a movie for freaking decades after that. No, it, it was a big. He just disaster. died a couple years ago, by the way. But anyways, I, I thought it was well worth mentioning because it's famous in film history. Can I just um, want to be clear about something? We have not. And, I, and I'm, I'm kind of ashamed of this now that I'm running the podcast. Um, I, I'm we we have not done enough Chris Christopherson movies on this podcast. I just want to put that out there. Well, we did uh, we did payback using payback. I love that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I think is there any other Chris Christopherson movies we've done? I don't think so. Have, have we done Stars Born Blade? would not be a man cave movie. <laughs> have we done? Uh, have we done Blade yet? Oh. No, no. Okay. Well, we see again. We have not done enough. But but if we do one with Chris Christopherson, we convoy. Have to, yeah, I can't. Yes, Brian. We <laughs> we if we're gonna do it, we're gonna do the rubber duck and convoy. <laughs> That classic 1978 trucker oh, movie. I can sing that song word I, for word. Oh, my <laughs> I God. I got the handle and everything. <laughs> didn't it come out the same year as Smokey and the Bandit? Uh, probably. Uh, I think it did, Ken. Yeah, I think it did. That was when that CB craze was at its peak. Oh, well, who was in it uh, with him? Uh, Allie McGraw. Allie McGraw. McGraw, that's right. Ernest and, and a big cast. All those other truckers oh, going with him. Oh, my God. Burt Young. That was a great movie. Is I'm sorry. Let me let me I have back never up. Seen it, sorry. What are you kidding? I've put it on. Put it no. on the big board, Brian. No. I back to it. I have seen that thing several times in my life because it's 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 not great, but it's wonderful. All right. <laughs> sorry. Yeah. All right. It's okay. Can it's can get, exploitation movie? I didn't know you were going to say convoy. By the way, Jeff. Oh, I, you didn't. I, oh my. God. No, I just I, threw it out there because I'm thinking, hey, that's. When that's, I, a, that's a guy movie. <laughs> when I think of Chris Christopherson, I think I mean, the first thing I think of, I don't think of his country country music song. I think of the movie Convoy. I mean, I, you know, I was a young lad back in the day, and I mean that that was that, that was on that was on HBO a lot, by the way. <laughs> and, and I didn't know any better. So, oh, and, I, I since you mentioned, you know, a thing that I, I this trivia I remember from back in the day about Chris Christopherson is he was A, a Rhodes Scholar, and B, a Green Beret captain serving in Vietnam before he got into movies. 
that's that's an interesting background yeah, for a Hollywood he, actor. He, he, he taught at West Point, if I'm not mistaken, at some point, I believe. Yeah, not not your typical Hollywood uh, career path. But let let me get in the top ten so we can oh, move this. Oh, please do, please do. Yes, go ahead. At number ten, a true man cave movie. We reviewed it. Uh, I think we gave it very good reviews, and that would be the Time Bandits. Yep. I was not part of that podcast. Ergo, it would not have got stellar reviews. Oh. Sorry, go on. I think Mark wow. loved it, Steve loved it, I was okay with it. At number nine, a non-Man Cave movie, uh, The Four Seasons, a romantic comedy with Alan Alda and Carol Burnett. Yeah, that was, uh, what's his name, uh, the famous playwright that was uh, put to movie, if I'm not mistaken. Neil Simon, I think. Does that sound right? Uh, yes, it was. Yeah. Uh, for our next movie, one of that uh, franchise that we've all loved and all watched, uh, this would be a Bond, James Bond movie, to be particular, a Roger Moore, James Bond movie, For Your Eyes Only. That's the one where we we reviewed this. I think mm-hmm. uh, I know. I know we did review it. I but it's the one where, by modern lights, I mean you know the whole Roger Moore flirting with the ostensibly sixteen-year-old Lynn Holly Johnson in the movie. It's got a creep factor these days, but all in all, it's a solid Bond movie. It, you know, it's funny. A year before that, in eighty, he did uh, a movie called folks in the states it was called north sea hijack i think in britain and it was it was and it was him trying to change his reputation uh steve i think you'd like that movie by the way uh north sea hijack because uh more totally plays out of character in that movie uh and it's on it's streaming on youtube by the way uh and i checked it and it's very nice i mean in terms of the streaming of it but that's actually one of my favorite roger moore movies maybe my favorite roger moore movie and you can't find it anywhere you mean moonraker is not your favorite what's that moonraker is not your favorite uh somehow that does not slide into my favorite uh zone okay although it does have the great hugo drax who is uh oh gosh who was in ronin and he was in uh oh gosh what's his name he was a french actor he was also in uh the original day of the jackal by the yes. way. He was a star of it. Well, getting back, you know, when I, in 1981, I saw Time Bandits Theater. I saw For Years Eyes Only. And I also saw Chariots of Fire. Love it. Love that movie. Again, based on uh, 1924 Olympics, study of two runners and their competition and affection and such. Uh, very highly regarded. And number six, another Man Cave movie. One that basically the rest of us just sat back, let Brian jabber on for two hours about the cannonball run. <laughs> I didn't have that much to say about that movie. It does. It is in my wheelhouse. I'll grant you that. <laughs> that's, that's a fun movie. I like it. And number five, another man cave movie. Uh, it's Stripes. That's fun a movie. fact. Jack. That's Jack. That's the fact, Jack. Stripes was a great movie, fun movie. Uh, Bill Murray. Was it Bill Murray's first? I think it might have been his first, like, big starring role. But 
It did very meatballs? well. Was meatballs, meatballs in was. There? Well, no, meatballs. meatballs yeah, but meatballs wasn't a big hit. No, it was. It should have been. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I know you love meatballs. I love that movie. <laughs> have we done that Still movie? Wanna... No, we have question. not. Oh, I'll have to watch it again. We've talked about it many a time. Yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. Uh, and we, number four. We have. Yes, go ahead. Uh, a movie which actually, back then, did very well. I saw it on TV once, realized it sucked. I never understood the affection for it. Uh, but nonetheless, it did well. It actually had a big sequel, and that was Arthur. <laughs> Dud- Dudley Moore playing a incoherent drunk two hours. I, I like Arthur. I'm sorry, I do. It, you know, it as a movie, as as a comedy, it's fine. I think it's fine. I mean, it, Dudley Moore does a great job. You know, he, he has a very fun comedic value, air about him. But it's not a main game movie. Yeah, the, the, am I wrong? Did Gilgood get an Oscar or an Oscar nomination for that? I know he got a nomination because he was actually very good as the the manservant in the movie. Is, but I think he may have won an Oscar. Or got I know he got nominated. I'm pretty certain. Is is that because they're you know they it's it's sort of a we're going to recognize your body of work or was it because of what he did in the movie? He was very good playing the droll comic part you know overseer if you will of sure. arthur as yeah. well as a parental figure actually he was very much a parental figure i must have liked this movie a lot more because i can tell kansas that has no recollection of any of this stuff no, i i saw the movie and i basically remember it it just wasn't my <laughs> bag i'm sure steve has not seen it and i i can't blame him by the way i i saw it oh, so long did. ago i don't even remember it so we'll it's... say you didn't see it i'm proud of you son proud of you yeah all right. All right. Ken, next. At number three, a movie which I saw because everybody went and saw this. It was a big hit. Uh, it wasn't that good, but nonetheless, it was a sequel to a very popular movie from a few years before, regurgitating the same characters pretty much. And that was Superman 2. You know, one of the Chris- Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman, Ned Beatty Superman movies. <laughs> I, I never liked any of those. Christopher V. Superman movies. I no, just they, never cared for no, them. They were pretty weak. No. But they were hits. They made a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Well, nothing else to go see. All right. <clears throat> Next. At, at number two, we have a movie which will never be featured on the Man Cave Movie Review. Never say never. Never on Golden Pond. Oh, never mind. Yep, never. All right. <laughs> We were talking about Peter Fonda and, last week, but Peter Peter Fonda passed away. Yes, and that yes. Caused, that caused me away. to think about Henry Fonda, and I thought uh, we will never ever review on Golden Pond. But anyway, I, I did review. I mean, I watched a whole lot of Henry Fonda movies over the years. He's he's a prolific guy. Mm-hmm. Peter Fonda just sort of, I think, when he just needed some money, he went out and made a movie wasn't that awful busy for years but he was always out there he he surprisingly was consistently busy and just a bunch of bit roles but he i mean he he was able to do a lot and apparently probably got compensated just fine i mean he was working all the way up i believe i I just kind of checked him out once uh i think scott posted on our website that he had passed away and you know it was one of those he passed away but it, it was days later before anybody knew about it um, but he, I think he was working, I mean, up until 
last year. I'll, and 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 not sporadically, but um, but anyway, it's um, you know, uh, and I because I was I was looking through his list, and I was like, is it, I mean, besides you know the obvious movie um, that he did back with uh, uh, was it Jack Nicholas, um, mm-hmm. Easy Rider, Easy Rider. I mean, besides that, you know, I mean, you know, there there wasn't anything that was jumping out. He was an escape from L.A. Yeah, like I said, there wasn't anything that was really jumping out. <laughs> um, but I mean, he's he he's has done a couple of movies or a couple of TV shows. I mean, each year for the last, I don't know, 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, he's every every year he's got something going on. So I mean, he's out there. He's he's. He's working it, and uh, 310 to Yuma, actually, he was in. That's right, which is actually a pretty good movie. I like Never seen the modern version. I've just seen the old one, Glenn Ford. It's worth catching. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> you know, it's it's actually, it's yeah, it's not it's not terrible. He's also in Wild Hogs. It's not terrible oh, yeah. because Christian Bale is in it, and uh, I, I'm a big fan of Christian Bale, but it's also Ben Foster and Russell Crowe. I mean, it's not... It's not bad. It's not bad. It's actually not, not it's bad. It's good. It's a good movie. I'll say, I'll step out at it. 310 to Yuma is a good movie. But it is a remake of the old Glenn Ford one. It's not that, I mean, the same storyline. It's got Wash in it from uh, Firefly. Yeah. That was good. All right. All right, Ken. Moving on to number one. The number one movie of that year. Not only was it number one, it crushed its opposition by a factor of about twice the box office. It was so great that we featured it as a Man Cave movie. It's one that had a deep impact, I think, on our movie viewing habits. And it was even more noteworthy because it featured my doppelganger, Herr Toast. (laughs) (laughs) And that movie is Raiders of the Lost Ark. (laughs) That was quite a build-up, Ken. Um, I know you've done that for Halloween before, Ken. So. I have not. I keep saying I thought you had. To. No, i got to get a black suit, a trench coat, and a fedora, and then burn a circle in my hand. <laughs> then I'll have the whole thing down. Backwards, by the way. The circle needs yeah, to be backwards. Back. Spoiler yeah. alert. Now, I do look this like... If, you, if you've seen Raiders of the Lost Ark, you've seen the Nazi, the sadistic Nazi goon, that's pretty much me if you put me in a dark suit. <laughs> A sadistic Nazi goon. Yeah. <laughs> no comment. All right. Hey, thanks. Well, I'll say, Herr Tote was a sadistic Nazi, and he was cruel and evil, but he wasn't as cruel and evil and creepy as Rutger Hauer was by a long shot. Well, I mean, yeah, you're right. I mean, he was just, I mean, he just seemed like a tool, but, yeah. you know, that's, yeah. he wasn't creepy. I mean, in every aspect of the word. Right. But that's a top 10 and and more of 1981. A busy movie. And again, I, I went to a lot of these movies in the theater. I was, I was out hitting the shows every other week or so back in those days. Yep. Yep. It was a good. All right. Well, hey, th- thanks, Ken. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, if you listen to our last podcast, we, um, and if you haven't, please go back and listen to that um, train wreck. We uh, we did not have a chance to do, um, well, really listener responses. So, uh, and we've had, we've had quite a few these last, uh, these last few weeks that I, um, that I, I 
was not able to really get to. But I had mentioned that Scott Waldeck had uh, posted um, about uh, Peter Fonda, and um, and that was um, you know that was a you know, just you know an, uh, take a moment and respect uh, you know the, the body of work and the man that that did it. So um, also this last week um, we uh, we posted that. Event Horizon was um, going to be made into a, um, um, a, a, a a TV series, a TV show. And uh, there's a lot of people that had some thoughts on that. And most people thought it was, uh, you know, a fine movie. Uh, some people really enjoyed it. Michael Dyer said, uh, huge love for this flick, and he is all for it. So if Captain Dyer is all for it, uh, it's going to have to... Uh, yeah, I might have to uh, you know get in line and get behind that. So, uh, um, the uh, Rick Allen is super meh on this uh, on this idea. <laughs> but um, uh, guys, what are your thoughts on this, real quick? Do you guys have any thoughts on them making uh, Event Horizon into a s- series on Sci-Fi Channel that will you know run it for a couple seasons and then get rid of it to Amazon or something? I, I got a comment. Yeah, go ahead. Why? <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Fair enough. It can't be as bad as Night Flyers was just recently, but just my opinion. Yeah. I, you know, I the, 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 that movie is a movie I was really excited about, Event Horizon. And I liked the idea. I just didn't think it came off very well. Uh, I own the soundtrack, by the way, to that, believe it or not. But uh, I... I wouldn't mind to see him remake the movie and just doing it a different way. Just my opinion. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a good point. I was neither a fan. I mean, I saw event horizon. I may have watched it for the podcast. I can't remember. My therapist has got me to forget about it, but I, you know, it's just not my genre. It's not my thing. Um, I don't get into horror and I, and I don't get much, I don't, I don't get much into space horror either. Um, and I never got into Hellraiser. It's just, it's just not my thing. So, I mean, you know, if, if they do it and it's great, I hope a lot of people enjoy it. Um, not my thing. So Steve oh. liked it, I think. Steve, right? you were a I, fan. You were I, a fan of Event Horizon, weren't you? I was. I was a big fan. Yeah. I did like it, and um, you know, I just, I thought it was a good movie. Uh, I'm, I, I'm not sure. Well, I guess, I'm not sure how you're going to do a TV series on it, but I guess it's, it, it's. I guess doable, but I'd have to know more about like the plot and all that. I mean, I I definitely want to check it out though. I mean, it's, I mean, if if they go with the current formula, it's going to have to be a prequel, or you know, it's it's just gonna they're just going to have to you know pick a point in time in the future that it you know, you know there's some sort of quasi justification for why it is continued on to this different different place. So, well, to quote you know the scene. Line from mailing just an express elevator to hell. I'm not sure really <laughs> how that is. You know how you take that too far. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Once you arrive, it's kind of done. Hey, yeah. I'm in hell. This last week, I posted a uh, a little something that made me chuckle, and I posted it out there for all to um, uh, last couple of weeks. Um, uh, it was titled "Never Celebrate Too Early," and and I I. I enjoy people who get a little too uh, celebratory and, you know, their greatness that, um, well, you know, they snatch uh, 
defeat from the jaws of victory. Um, but uh, Frank Beecham uh, did a great job of reminding us that uh, um, that that Leon Lett had a um, had had a, had a great moment in football history um, in the fumble in Super Bowl uh, 27. So um, I, you know I. I it's those things that get me through the weeks, listeners. So continue to uh, to, to be engaging. I appreciate it. And um, um, I would be remiss if I did not mention I I did this last week go and see, um, and I was excited to do this. Um, I was it's one I don't get too excited about things because I can't stand disappointment. And I was really excited about having the opportunity to go see Seven Samurai at a theater down on the south side of Indianapolis, uh, and actually it's in southern. It's in a city about 20 miles south of Indianapolis. That um, it, my old stomping grounds. It was um, Seven Samurai. It was going to be shown on 35 millimeter uh, video uh, or on a movie reel, and it was going to be at my this old theater we would go to when I lived down on the south side, down in Franklin, Indiana, called the Art Craft. And it's now been um, turned over to sort of like a, a theater preservation society. It's um, they 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 preserve it, they run it, they offer all kinds of special viewings for classic movies and current movies, and um, sort of kind of what we're doing here on this podcast, which is you know sharing you know some of the goodness that's out there that you may not have seen. And and to me, there's a lot of movies that should be seen in a theater. And you know, I said that years ago that you know Star Wars is one of those classic movies. It needs to be seen on the big screen. That's that's where it's meant to be. You can bring it home, but it just you know seeing that Star Destroyer come come across the screen and it just keep going. I mean, there's nothing like it. But anyway, they um, they were they were they that's what they do. They show movies as they should be seen, and it's a great opportunity. There's over 200 people there to see this, but. Um, I went down there, and one of our listeners, a, um, a young man named Cameron Freed, who is a frequent poster on our uh, Facebook page, um, he was in attendance, and I had the distinct pleasure of meeting this young man, um, and we talked for a few moments. I had um, my bookends tagging along with me. They wanted to come see this movie, strangely, so I had an 8-year-old and a 12-year-old with me, and um, and we went, and they were, you know, one wanted to go see it. One ended up really enjoying it while we were there, and I'll get to that in a second. But um, Cameron, it was great meeting you, great talking to you. I wish we could have spent more time um, chatting. Uh, Cameron has, um, like I said, a great presence on our Facebook page and um, and has a love for a lot of the same uh, movies that we do. So I, um, uh, at, at intermission, because I did forget it was actually a three-and-a-half-hour movie, um, my my. My youngest one, he just, you know, long week, got tuckered out, and I had to leave halfway through. So I was I was slightly bummed out about it. But on the flip side, my oldest was very excited and wanted to continue seeing the movie. Um, he loved it. His first viewing of Seven Samurai, 1953, Kira Kurosawa, Toshiro Mifune movie. Um, fan, just outstanding by, by all accounts. However, I forgot that even in subtitles... Um, in 1953, they were they were putting the king mother of dirty words on subtitles for these Japanese movies, and um, um, and there was a lot of uh, f bombs and a holes and, um, and 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 several others that um, it was uh, kind of uh, kind of jarring at times to know my eight year old was reading all this, but um, 
if uh, if anybody's in the central Indiana area and, um, and and is interested, check out the Artcraft. Artcraft is one word, by the way. Um, theater and uh, they they have their movie listings and you know really reasonable. Six bucks for an adult to go see a movie and even cheaper for kids. So. Um, so anyway, so that's uh, that's catching up with our listeners and what's been going on these last couple of weeks, and um, and with that, gentlemen, it is time for our closing thoughts. And we want to kick this off. Steve, you threw this out there, so let's let's hear what your closing thoughts are for this great and fantastic movie. All right, thanks, Jeff. Um, closing thoughts. Like I said, I I did suggest this. I I think this is probably the maybe third time that I've seen this movie. Um, I remember the first time I saw it was, you know, way back in the, probably about the mid eighties. I rented it on, uh, from box office video on a, uh, uh, VHS tape. And I remember seeing it back then. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, has it aged? Well, I would say probably not, but then again, like we talked about, these type of movies that were made back then, you know, I don't think a lot of them do age well. Uh, they they just have that, as Ken mentioned, kind of like that made-for-TV look about them in a way. But I think that also, like I said, gives it a certain amount of appeal, at least for me. I did enjoy this one. Uh, I just, you know, obviously watching Rutger Hauer on screen is just, you know, uh, I, I'd say probably the biggest complaint is that there wasn't enough Rutger Hauer. Um, you know, too much Sly Stallone, not enough Rutger Hauer. And that's not a bad thing against Sly because I like him too. Uh, but uh, this definitely is a movie about, I think, Rutger Hauer's character, which I can't believe during the entire show we didn't bring up his what his name was. Wolfgar. Oh, I, no, I his said name it. Was, I said it. Did we say it? Yeah, I did. Did we? Oh, okay. You, you might have been ignoring uh, me like you usually do. but yeah. uh, I, That could be. That could be. Um, I can't blame you. Yeah, but anyway, I just thought it was funny because every time they would say Wolfgar, I just kept thinking of the Thirteenth Warrior, and it kind of threw yep. me out a little bit. Yep. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but I did. I enjoyed this movie. I think it's pretty solid. Um, I I definitely would recommend it. Um, you know, for anybody who's not seen it, because like I said, it's it's definitely um, probably a lesser. It's definitely a lesser-known movie of uh, Stallone and Rutger Hauer. But I think as far as I'm concerned, I'd give this one a 7. Good, solid 7. Okay. A 7. Mm-hmm. All right. Yep. Good deal. Ken, what say you? Well, I've said a lot about this movie, and there's there's positive parts and not so positive. Main characters, Stallone, Billy D. Williams, Rutger Hauer, all do a good job. I'm totally with Steve on the idea that it should be more uh, Wolfgar and less of Stallone. Getting past that, though, I don't think it really holds up too well. Like, like I said, it's it's like watching an old TV series. I mean, you know, from the same period. And I just don't think it. it you know, it. You know, I watched it. You know, did I think it sucked? No. But I can't really give it a real strong rating. Uh, if you're going to watch, I mean, I think a listener may want to watch it just to see what Rutger Hauer was like at his very first breakthrough role here. Because the guy is a great actor. And also to see Stallone in that early formative stage. I mean, he had not done First Blood yet. Uh, he'd done, you know, he was just like getting his, feeling his oats as an actor as a at least as a starring actor so is an interesting period in stallone's career but with that if i got to give it a numerical score i'm going to give it a 5.75 i'm sorry what what did you just say a what what the hell is wrong with you people a 5.75 it's a, a fraction 
a it's six. A fraction. It's actually six, a, it's actually a decimal, needs, but six translates to I like yeah. it. It's, <laughs> I'm just and trying two to... translates to I don't like it. I mean, or rather, a six translates to I like it, and a four is I don't like it. A five point seven five is uh, I kind of like it, but there's significant stuff I don't like about it. What are you talking about, Willis? Hmm. Mixed, very mixed. Um, yeah, five point seven five. Okay, just making sure Doctor Beecham gets that down. As you know, I, I you know I'm, I'm always accused of being wishy-washy and a go-with-the-flow guy, but screw y'all. I'm just trying to figure out how you quantify 5.75 for your review. All right. Anyway, where was I? Okay. Hey, thanks, Ken. All right. And uh, Brian, what uh, what say you? Um, you know, I mean, you can tell, you can tell it's a movie of the '80s, uh, particularly a crime type movie of the '80s, early '80s that has that certainly that feel. Uh, it makes me think of Warriors and Streets of Fire, which were shows that came out around that time, although very different movies, but it has very much that feel to it. I liked it, uh, honestly. Uh, again, despite the fact that it, it is a little dated, uh, I'm like, Ken, I like the soundtrack, but I'm a big Emerson, Lake, and Palmer fan and you know, love Keith Emerson. You know, one thing that comes away with this, I mean, it's really the whole thing with Rutger Hauer. You just wish that Rutger Hauer had become a very prominent leading man and, and done a lot more things and it kind of fell into a lot of character stuff because I, I, he had he had a thing. I mean, he, he was he had great charisma. Uh, I mean, I know Steve has mentioned he can be menacing, but hell, I mean, Charles Bronson can be menacing, you know, I mean, and he was certainly a leading man in a different sort of way. Uh, so I, I guess one of the things I come out of this movie is it's kind of a disappointment. You know that I really wish that he'd have got a chance to to be a star. I mean, you know, he was a star. I don't want to mistake that, but but a star in the same sense that Stallone and folks like that were. Because there's no question about it. I mean, he was. You wanted more of him in this movie than you did Stallone. You just did. It would have made it a better movie. So with all that, I will give the movie a seven. I pretty much was thinking that all along, and when Steve said it, it just kind of confirmed it in my head. So that's that's where I'm at. All right. Well, hey. Thanks, Brian. I this is my first viewing, and I, as I said, I was very happy that uh, Steve rescued me from having to watch Lady Hawk, which <laughs> I will only ever do under protest. But uh, you know, this was um, you know having that this come off of that, it was like well, anything's going to be better. So I was, um, uh, I you know what I I I did like the dark grittiness of the movie. Um, it, it did give me a sense of a nostalgia for the movies I did watch back in this period, like the Death Wish movies um, and, and some of the, you know, Escape from New York, those types of those types of movies. And, and I, um, it, I don't know, it's not that I long for those years or anything, but it just it takes me back a little bit to the childhood that what those movies look like back then, because there is a distinctive. Uh, cinematography during that period due to I think technology and just you know what what we thought was um, what we thought was a good look so it's it's um, it's a it's I think it's a strangely a well it's a well-paced movie and Rutger Howard does a great job of kind of keeping you on the edge of your seat and I really I really appreciated that so I mean it's this movie if anything it does let you see the type of actor that Rutger Howard could be and why his presence and his place in cinema is very important, um, and how he can really 
steal the scene or steal the show or define a movie and and that that's kind of a i think the hallmark of a, of a really good actor so he may not have been a top a actor but you know when you saw him in a movie he left an impression on you um i'd seen him in a few things more recently and there was this sense that he was there there was a other side to him you know this he wasn't that that's not who he was but he really was able to bring that type of character out in him so uh, i will give yeah i'm going to give this movie i'm going to give it a six and a half I, I don't know if i'll watch it again but i did not resent it um I, I, and and again the whole time i was thinking thank god i'm not watching lady hawk uh but i really i you know it was it was a it was a great show. It, it did think I did think I get to see some reference to um, if you haven't seen Hell's Disco, Hell's Club, Hell's, Hell's Club. Club. That's right, Hell's Club. If you haven't seen Hell's Club on YouTube, um, again, go check that out. It's a, a mashup, mashup of gr- just uh, disco type movies from and uh, not disco type, but disco scenes or club scenes from many many different movies from that from that era and into the future um so go check that out but it was nice to get that frame of reference for where for seeing that in this movie so um but with that gentlemen um i think that brings us to the close of the show so thank you guys for your review thanks for um bringing this to my attention steve um and you know didn't unlike brian feel like this was a complete utter waste of my time and this was the armpit of you know all that <laughs> is holy in cinema so uh, but uh, but anyway so Thank you very much. And with that, uh, ladies and gentlemen, once again, hit us up on Facebook. Uh, you can check us out at mancavemoviereview.com. Uh, you can go there and you can see our catalog. As I mentioned in prior episodes, uh, I was able to fix the block that was allowing you to see past 100 episodes ago so now you can go on uh i started doing something not uh, com- completely revolutionary but i've been doing uh i started the uh, uh flashback friday where i'm going to post every friday just you know one of the ones we've done in the past and this most recent one i did our very first one the uh, that started it all off conan uh, you can hear um us in our our in our fledgling empire that we've become you know with the four of us and you know about 13 listeners so uh but check (laughs) us out and um uh, you know go back and listen to some of those podcasts as uh, darwin would say um you know whenever you're mowing the grass or cleaning the house they're they're good to have on and uh, sometimes they're kid friendly sometimes they're not but um check that out i also want to check out our facebook page and uh, as you as and I want to thank our listeners where I'm getting more and more interactions and uh, and, and all four of us are on there um, posting and reapplying whenever we possibly can. Uh, we really appreciate your time that you that you take to let us know whether it's uh, somebody passing or whether you want to let us know that uh, uh, bourbon expires after a certain amount of time with so much air in the bottle. Um, so, San, again, Santos, thank you. And uh, or whatever, whatever you want to share with us that's movie related uh, or, you know, Keith Emerson. Uh, Brian will definitely respond to you about his uh, his, his um, legendary keyboard antics. So uh, but with that, it is now time to sign off and say farewell to my compadres here. Let's go with uh, Ken. Are you here for business or pleasure? Roni. You know, I like it, Jeff. So let's get dinner after the podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
you know. Uh, can? Uh, well, it's a little late for that, but uh, I'm a little creeped out, so. All right. Well, thank you, Ken. Also saying so long, farewell, and adieu is my other good and dear friend, uh, Brian. You're a podcaster, and you'll talk when you're assigned. Miller. Yeah, Ken, that's a good thought. I'll, I'll wait up top of the escalator. You send Jeff up first. How's that okay. sound? <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. See you for dinner. <laughs> Yeah, well, the love, the love right now. Oh, my demise is. I'll make sure to bring my lime shovel. I'll cut you, man. I'll cut, I'll cut you. you. Yeah, you'll cut me. All right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And uh, also saying farewell, do and ciao, is my other good and dear friend, Steve. Not a lot of worthwhile quotes in this movie, Michaels. Uh, Jeff, I'll bring the Chinese. <laughs> well, you know. <laughs> oh, it's a battle royale for who who takes me out. That's great. All right, all right, gentlemen. Well, thank you very much. Um, it's uh, as always. I appreciate you guys being here on a Sunday night and uh, you know trying to make it up um, so we can get this uh, out to our listeners and to each other. Um, so, with that, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, and my fellow podcasters, ciao. I'll be back. Greg, we are leaving! Are you not entertained? Damn your eyes! Too late. Please go away, let me sleep for the love of God! Someday this war's gonna end. In case I don't see ya. Good afternoon, good evening, and good night. There's the us, and what we were. And what will be. And what will be. Okay, it's it's recording. And can you hear Sheila's TV in the other room? Absolutely, sure can. can. Yeah, you know, she throw like I don't know what to do about it. Honestly, soup at her and get her to shut that thing off or something. I don't know. Yeah, that's gonna work out for me. I'm sure. It'll be good for the podcast listeners. Whatever comes out. Hold on, let me see if I can turn it back a little bit. Yeah. Poking the bear right now. Well, that's better. I don't hear it so much now. All right. Well, hello. Yeah, I'm here. Yeah, oh, okay. Yeah, All right. I was now. I was like, well, I don't. I don't hear anything. I. What, did everybody leave. All right. Well, as soon as uh, Hair Klopek gets back on here, well, there. I. I had to negotiate this shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's a quid pro fucking quote. What is, what is she? Uh, she watching Andy Griffith? What's she watching? <laughs> I don't know. She's watching The Graduate, but it sounds like a goddamn Vietnam War going on in there. No, we can't believe she's watching The Graduate. Who watches Plastics. That?
All right, gentlemen, here we go. Let's get this going. Um, I Shh. No. <laughs> what? One Sorry. minute, 30 seconds into it, and Sheila <laughs> and the dog are on the podcast. Ken, what are you yeah, bringing you to hear, the podcast? You your air conditioner behind you? What are you bringing? I don't My AC is off. It's nice outside. Phone dialed down. Now, of course, could have a Harley convention go down the street, or maybe like, you know, fire trucks decide to park next door. But, you know, otherwise, I think it's going to be good on my end. Yeah, I make sure to put the kids to bed so they don't hear any cursing or anything I might accidentally do tonight. No shit. I'm sitting there going like, wow, there you go, Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) Dropping the F-bombs in front of your kids and denying it. I I never said that. I never said that. I was... I couldn't. I, it's my it's my standard go to. I didn't say that. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Here we go. All right, gentlemen. And in three. I always do this. I always do this. This is episode two forty nine. It is two forty nine. Okay. And here we go. And in three, two, one.